The readings from Galatians 1, verse 11 to chapter 2, verse 10. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, um, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had not, um, I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I wonder if you've ever been in that position where there are two voices speaking to you, And they're saying completely different things, and you have to choose which one you're going to trust. We had that over the summer as Kath was driving us back from seeing friends in Manchester. Um, We were aiming, we knew that, for the northbound M61, but how to get there. Manchester's a big place, and the sat-nav was saying one thing, but I had a map, and I was saying something else. And so it's a hard position for Kath. The sat-nav says, it's time to turn right. Andy says, no, 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 let's stay on this road. That's much better. What's she going to do? Who's she going to listen to? She has to choose. Well, of course, she listened to me, but of course, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's really hard when you have um, have those two voices saying the opposite thing to you, and you have to decide who am I going to listen to. Well, that that's a good description of what's going on in Galatians. We we started looking at this letter last week, and what we saw was that these young Christians, fledgling churches, had been planted by the apostle Paul. He had taught them that we are saved and changed only by trusting in Jesus by faith alone. It's it's His grace, His free, undeserved love and kindness that forgives us and then begins to change us, working on the inside to make us new people. It's all His work. We just have to trust him. But after a time, new teachers had come in among the churches in Galatia. And they were saying that was not enough. That as well as trusting Christ, you have to obey certain laws. You have to get circumcised. You have to keep the Jewish festivals. Only then, only if you add on that obedience, can you be fully acceptable to God. And so the Galatians are in that situation. They've got the two voices, and they have to decide who they're going to trust, who are they going to listen to. They're saying contradictory things. Um, actually, both sides are warning that, listen to me, listen to me. If you listen to the other lot, it'll lead to ruin. We saw that last week in verses 8 and 9, as Paul uses very strong language. He says that if the Galatians make the wrong choice, they won't just get lost on the Manchester Ring Road. They'll be lost forever, sent away from God for all eternity. The stakes could not be higher. And so the Galatians have this choice. And the point of our passage this evening, the point of what Peter read to us, is to call them back to Paul. Paul is saying, listen to me. My gospel is true. It's worth believing. And my gospel is good. It's worth fighting for. He's reasoning with them. He lays out the facts, and he's trying to persuade them. Now, what we're going to do is work through the reasons that he gives. But just before we start with that, it's worth asking, why is this a live issue for us? It's a live issue for us, well, for one thing, because we all face the same choice as the Galatians. Whether it's from teaching outside of us or our own fallen instincts within, all of us instinctively feel sometimes, we hear, that we need to work for God instead of trusting him. I said last week, and a couple of people said, yeah, that, that's really true for me, um, that a church is very often full of people who are either really pleased with themselves because they feel like they're working hard for God and they're living upright lives. There's pride there. Or else people who are down because they don't feel like they're working hard enough for God and their, their lives are not upright enough. It's instinctive, isn't it? Isn't it in us? We think we have to work for God instead of, as Paul says, trusting Christ alone. And so if they needed this call, the original readers needed this call back to just relying on Jesus, then we need that as well. But another reason why this is live for us, thinking a bit more specifically about our passage this evening, as we face choices in our theology, the things that we believe about God, Maybe you wouldn't call it that, but we all have a theology. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all have a theology. And we face choices about what to believe. And it's really important to think about why we believe what we believe. What are the reasons underpinning what we think about God? That's really important, partly for our integrity, but also for our security. Because if we're not clear about the reasons, then we're vulnerable, aren't we? And when clever people like... 
like these folks in Galatia come and they say something that, oh, is that right? I'm not quite sure. We're not clear of our reasons and we get led astray. But also for the sake of other people, many of us will have been in the same position, the painful position that Paul was in, watching friends, people we love and care about being led astray and they're floundering in uncertainty. And for their sake, we need to be able to explain the solid reasons that underpin what we believe. That's really what Paul is doing here. He's outlining the reasons. He says, my gospel is worth believing. And there are three particular things that we're going to work through that he says. The reason number one, Paul says that he got his gospel straight from Jesus Christ. He got it straight from Jesus. You can see that in verse 11 if you look down. For I would have you know, brothers, that this gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying he didn't make up his gospel. He didn't hear it on the grapevine, secondhand from some human source. He got it straight from Jesus. That's his claim. And then the rest of the verses, all the rest of chapter 1 is backing that up, is explaining and defending that. Just look again at it. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again um, into Damascus. What does that mean? Well, Paul Paul hated the early church. He tried to stamp it out. And so what was it that turned his life around? We can read about it in the book of Acts. As Paul is traveling on the road up to Damascus, he's got a warrant for the arrest of the Christians there. But as it happens, he is arrested by a vision of the risen Jesus. He's blinded by light, overwhelmed. He hears the supernatural voice of Jesus addressing him. Eventually, his sight is restored with the help of a man named Ananias. And pretty soon after that, he's speaking in public, but not against Jesus this time, but for him. And his point at the end there is, when that happened to me, It was Jesus. It was Jesus who broke into my life. I didn't speak to other people. It wasn't from other people, secondhand, that I got my gospel. It was straight from Jesus. He is establishing his independence from any human sources. What started him off wasn't man, but God. Do you see that? The source of his gospel, he's saying, wasn't man, but God. Now, in verse 14, if you look down, you see how he describes his old beliefs in the Pharisaic sect of Judaism. That was all secondhand human teaching. He, he, he calls them the traditions of my fathers. It's interesting, that, isn't it? A contrast. Because here, from Jesus, it's something completely different. It's something not secondhand, not the traditions of my fathers, but a revelation straight from Jesus Christ. And the implication in verse 17 You think of Arabia, the wilderness. I think the implication is that after that first encounter with Jesus, Paul was alone for a while and he was receiving 
further revelation and instruction from the, from the risen Jesus. And there are other parts of other letters written by Paul that speak about that kind of an experience. Do you see the point that he's making? In the context of this argument in Galatia, he's saying, listen to me, you guys, because I got my gospel straight from Jesus. Partly, what um, this is referring to is the fact in the Bible that human beings are inherently unreliable sources of truth about God. Paul's saying, I didn't get my gospel from any people because that wouldn't be reliable. God is beyond our powers of human investigation. And also, we're not neutral. When it comes to moral truth, we all have a vested interest in finding the answer to be a certain way. We have a vested interest in suppressing the fact that there's a God to whom we owe everything and a God that we should be worshipping in our lives. Human statements about God are not reliable. It doesn't matter how popular they are, how old they are, how right they may feel in your stomach. Human statements about God are not reliable. Paul says, well, I didn't get my gospel from any people. I got it straight from God. It's trustworthy. I wonder how that sits with you. As you think about all the venerable books and traditions and ideas about religion, I wonder how that sits with you. That human beings say all sorts of things about God, but it never gets beyond the realm of opinion. That only Jesus Christ can take us into the realm of revelation and certainty because he is God himself. That's, he's the one that we need to hear from. I think that's partly what Paul's saying here. But there must be something else as well, because Paul even asserts his independence from the only human sources that he could have relied on, namely the other apostles. Now, I was explaining last week what that word apostles mean. Uh, it means. It means the small group of people, originally the 12, that Jesus specifically appointed and then equipped with his Holy Spirit and authorized as his official spokesman. So they would go out and they would minister, and they would speak on his behalf with his authority. If you want to check that out, the place to go is Mark 3 and the bit that starts in verse 13 there. So of all humanity, the apostles actually were reliable because they weren't just speaking their own opinion, they were speaking on behalf of Jesus, sent and equipped by him. But if you look down, verse 17, Paul is even distancing himself from them. He says, you know, when... It was Jesus that broke into my life. It was him that taught me by a revelation. I didn't go straight to Jerusalem. It wasn't Peter and James and John and the others that gave me my gospel. Why is he distancing himself even from them? Well, we can imagine the kind of accusation in Galatia that Paul is addressing here, that he's rebutting. You can imagine what the false teachers there were saying about him. They're saying, you know, Paul, he wasn't one of the original apostles. He wasn't one of the twelve and instead, you know, he was kind of hanging around with them, and he, he heard this and that, and he, he picked up a bit of stuff from them. But then he went off, and he was preaching, and I'm afraid he got it a bit mixed up. With Paul, it's all Chinese whispers. It's all a bit mixed up. We can tell you what the apostles in Jerusalem are really saying. That's what Paul seems to be defending himself against here. It was Jesus, he says. No, no, it was Jesus that started me off teaching it wasn't other people. It wasn't even the apostles. My gospel comes straight from Jesus. Therefore, listen to me, you Galatians. Trust me. 
and for us, for us now, as we, as we do in our lives, have to make decisions about what's true about life and about what's right and wrong and about what God is like and what he wants and how we can be friends with him. As we have to make up our minds about these crucial questions, this is showing us the question that we need to ask, which is, is this message or idea, is this human opinion, or does it come from a divine revelation? Paul is saying it's a matter of sources. You need to know that it comes from God. As he reveals himself, that's the only thing you can rely on. But of course, the question is, how do you know? Because it's easy to claim, isn't it, to have received revelation from God. That's what they all say. You know, if you want to start your own religion, that's a good place to start. You say that God, oh, he's revealed these things to me. So Paul's experience in Galatia, it's not, at least at first, it's not a million miles away from what is claimed by Muslim people for their prophet Muhammad. That God spoke to him, or an angel dictated the words of God to him in a cave. Or the same claim is made for Joseph Smith, for example, by Mormons in America with his special scrolls that came from God and the special reading glasses that enabled only him to read them. But the thing about Paul's claim to revelation is that it is embedded in a series of public events which plausibly support the idea that God really had intervened in his life. It wasn't just a private thing. It was something that everybody knew about. You look at verse 13. How does it start? You've heard. He's talking about things that are well known. Paul's life had been turned around in such a dramatic way that as far as these people were concerned, it could only have been the intervention of God himself. It's like uh, if you were to read on the news that I can't remember the chap's name, who's the head of ISIS, that he'd changed his mind and he was now preaching Christ instead of trying to persecute the church. I mean, you might think, what's happened? Maybe it was the hand of God. But there's something else as well that backs up Paul's claim. that It wasn't just some private revelation that you know, he, he could easily have made up. This is a public thing. And so his second reason, he says that his gospel was endorsed by the other apostles. He didn't get his message from them, but when he did eventually go up and spend some time with the others in Jerusalem, they backed up what he was saying. They recognized Paul and his message as the real deal. Now, at home, we love police dramas, uh, especially if they're from Scandinavia. That's what we're enjoying at the moment. Uh, and I expect, I was thinking about this, I expect police dramas are not that lifelike, and being a policeman isn't, isn't really like that. But everybody knows, and this is one thing that may well be true in real life as well as in, in the programs, is that what you're looking for is for the witnesses' statements to back each other up. If one person is saying something, well, it might be true. But if lots of different people are independently saying the same thing, well then, it probably is true. And that's really what Paul is saying at the start of chapter 2. He talks about a second visit up to Jerusalem. He went up after 14 years. Uh, He went to check in with the other apostles. He spent some real time that time with Peter, James, and John. And the phrase he uses is, they added nothing to me. There were no holes in my gospel. They added nothing to me. They agreed that it was the real gospel. 
They didn't ask his Gentile friends who were with him that they be circumcised. They affirmed his message that salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, no works required. And therefore, uh, the message that Paul said he had received from Jesus, a message that was stamped with the, the apparent intervention of God in his life, was also backed up by what the other apostles were saying. And their lives, too, also bore the stamp of God's authenticating intervention. Think about their lives from the time when they were with Jesus through his ministry, and then in the book of Acts, the extraordinary things, the miracles, the extraordinary effect of their preaching and their work stamped these men with the authenticating power of God. And Paul is saying, well, we're all saying the same thing. We're all independent from each other, but we're saying the same thing. It's a helpful way of thinking about it, I think. Something happened in first century Palestine, something remarkable that changed the lives of thousands of people and then changed the world. It's changed history. The God looks from where we're standing like God broke in. And in amongst all of what was happening, all the key people were all saying the same thing, which is that we are forgiven and changed by trusting in Jesus. So it's a public thing. Something unpersuasive, I think, about purely private revelation. It needs to be backed up with public facts. And Paul is saying that's, that's how it is with him and with his gospel. A range of people, all of whose lives were publicly stamped with God's power and authentication, all said the same thing. So the conclusion is, I guess, the false teachers in Galatia, they're in trouble. (laughs) They're in trouble because they are trying to paint Paul as a lone voice, saying something unusual, something not the same as the other apostles. And he's saying that's not true. We'll see next week. They were obviously trying to trade on an apparent... um, um, conflict between Paul and Peter, which really wasn't a disagreement at all about the content of the gospel. We'll see that, but rather Peter being inconsistent. Paul is saying very clearly here that these false teachers are in trouble because they are lining up against one of Jesus's authoritative appointed spokesmen who was saying what all the rest of Jesus's appointed spokesmen were also all saying. Uh, In the early 90s, I think it was in the early 90s, uh, John Stott and um, Archbishop Tutu from South Africa. Um, it's a good job he was born in South Africa and not over here because um, I'm not sure you'd survive primary school um, if your name was Tutu. Um, they were two prominent leaders in the Anglican church and that they had a kind of a, a public argument, semi-public, about... Um, uh, Archbishop Tutu was criticizing some of Paul's, preaching, uh, Paul's, um, Paul's writing, saying it was wrong, basically, and that it was restrictive, and that Paul didn't know what he was on about. And John Stott, very graciously, but firmly, he said in response, in effect, the Archbishop of Cape Town against the Apostle of Christ. Who wins? Paul wins. 
For I would have you know, verse 11, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you can ask Peter, James, John, any of the others, and they will all tell you the same thing. That's why Paul's message is worth, worth believing. And then there's a third little reason uh, that Paul's gospel wasn't the kind you'd make up. This is really um, picking up something that we skipped over last week in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, if you have a look at that. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's pointing out there that his message has made him very unpopular. Uh, he argues like this in a number of, at a number of points in the letter. He says that what the false teachers were saying is easy to say and it's easy to hear. If you say you've got to live a good life and earn God's favor, no one's going to argue with that, apart from, apart from Paul and the other Christians. But, I mean, it's going to make you look respectable. People are going to think, yeah, it's a respectable guy. He's promoting good order and good behavior. Whereas Paul, his message is radically humbling, saying that we can only despair of ourselves and rely 100% on Jesus and surrender control to him. That is a message that just pours a bucket of freezing cold water over our human pride. And so it's very unpopular. It's a message that if you will speak it, it will get you a lot of stick. And therefore, it's a message you will only stand up with if you think that it's true. If you're trying to please God, because it certainly won't please man. There's no ulterior motive, because there's no other benefit. And it's true, isn't it, that people who don't have anything to gain from their message are a lot easier to believe. So, this is Paul's message for the Galatians. His gospel is worth believing because he got it from Jesus. It was endorsed by the other apostles, and it's not the sort of thing he would have wanted to make up. Paul doesn't just emotionally appeal to his friends. Come on, guys, for old time's sake, listen to me. He doesn't just bluster or impress them. He lays out his reasons. And that's something we can learn from. Unsupported opinions about God are of no use to us or to anybody else. We need reasons. We need to learn to ask ourselves and others, why do you say that about God? What makes you think that that's true? Because we build our lives on the answers to these big questions. And a lot of people, they just believe stuff without really being able to explain why. And I mean Christians as well as those who aren't. Unsupported opinions. They're all around us. On the radio, reading an article, and in conversations with ordinary people. People say, well, that's, that's wrong. Okay, but why? Or, I, I think of God as being like this. Well, okay, but why? Why do you think that? When you try and push people and ask them, there are a number of popular kind of ways of justifying what we believe that, well, see what you think of them. 
is what we might call the Wikipedia method, which is to say that if enough people are saying it, there must be some basis for it, right? Apart from human beings are quite capable of being wrong in large numbers. Or there's the antique method, which says that if an idea is old enough, then, well, it must have a little bit of truth in it. Well, that's fine, as long as you want to navigate your way around this flat earth using your horoscopes. Others would appeal vaguely to science. But using the word doesn't mean that your thought process is scientific. Or others might say the whole thing is just a lot of immature adolescent philosophy. And in the real world, you just have to trust your instincts, and even if you can't always explain why, which is fine until you're presented with a gunfight like Galatians where you have two sides of plausible people who are saying different things and the stakes are very high. As Christians, it's healthy to ask, why do you say that? When the person who's cutting your hair says they reckon everyone will get to heaven in the end, ask them why. I don't mean in an aggressive way, but I mean in a curious way to get them thinking. Or when someone at a dinner party or in one of those late-night conversations in a hall of residence or a student flat that go on far too long into the night, when someone says that um, you know, they think that um, nature is, um, kind of everything is God and we can get in touch with him through nature, ask them why. Why do you think that? People are always asking Christians that kind of question. Why, why do you say that? We need to ask it back. Because a passage like this should give us great confidence as Christians that as long as we stick with the teaching of the apostles, we have solid ground beneath our feet that these men were appointed by Jesus to speak for him and that their, their lives show the evidence of his power intervening to authenticate that. We don't just believe the words of Peter, Paul, Matthew, the others, because it's written in a book and the book is really old. We believe because the facts of the matter suggest that these men really did get their message from God. It's not that they knew, it's that he knew, and they were speaking for him. So Paul is laying out these reasons as a call to the Galatians. Come on, guys, my gospel isn't just unsupported opinion. There are reasons here. It's worth believing But as we close, it's not enough for Paul that the gospel is true. He also has to remind them how good it is. It's not just worth believing, it's worth fighting for. Have a look, please, in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery... To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul's argument with the new teachers in Galatia isn't just a matter of truth as opposed to error. It's a matter of freedom as opposed to slavery. Because if you think you have to work for God, always striving to earn his forgiveness... That is slavery. Whereas if you can say with Paul, as we saw last week, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is freedom. To know that you're accepted like a son or daughter in God's family and it doesn't matter what you do. That is freedom. To know that the burden of changing and living a transformed life does not rest on your weak shoulders or your weak will, but on the mighty power of Christ at work within you. That is freedom. Those verses, it's pure campaigning, fighting talk from Paul, isn't it? See, when I was in Jerusalem and um, I was with the other apostles and they were completely endorsing everything I was saying and there were some other people there, um, false brothers, I think we used to call them, people who were talking about circumcision. And I can tell you, I resisted them absolutely, mostly because they were wrong, but also because the real gospel was so much better. If we can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is freedom. To know that I am a son of God, a daughter of God. Not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done. And that will never change. And his love for me will never change. It's worth believing, but it's worth fighting for. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that your message appeals so clearly to our heads and our hearts. Please make us, we ask, increasingly clear and comfortable about what we believe and why. And please help us to love this gospel more and more. Thrill our hearts, we ask, with the thought that Jesus your son willingly laid down his life for us and that he lives within us now. Teach us to live that way, Lord, relying wholly on him, walking in the freedom that Christ has given us. In Jesus' name, amen.